everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined by Dave Matter from the Columbia Bureau, here to break down this week in Missouri athletics. A lot to discuss, not all great things, but let's start with uh, the big game Saturday in Columbia Day. The Tigers looking to turn the page on three consecutive football losses. Not exactly the easiest opponent to do it against. Florida comes to town. Um, with plenty left to play for they're on the way toward they hope a 10-win season and they're still kind of eyeing that college football playoff hoping that Georgia goes down what do you make of uh, how things square up for this game kind of where are the Tigers at um, coming off of that uh, tough loss they took at Georgia and really just the past three games in general they throw a bye week in there but uh, they haven't looked like they've wanted to look going all the way back to that old Miss game at home it's it's really hard to get a read on this team at this point. Now, they're coming home where they played really well this year. It's been 35 days will have passed since their last home game when wow. they kick off on Saturday, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's not all on Missouri. That's that's just the way the scheduling kind of worked out. But it's it just doesn't seem right to to be gone from home that long. But either way, can they suddenly go back to that team that was playing well at home, or are they going to look more like this team that's been on the road for the last three weeks? a team that Saturday played pretty well defensively. I mean, not not like they were at the beginning of the season, but considering the competition, uh, they played well enough to, you know, have a winning effort on that side of the ball. When you hold Georgia to four field goals and just two touchdowns, but offensively, just no identity, no strength, no momentum, nothing they can lean on. Granted, they were playing with backup quarterbacks, um, but I don't know what to expect from Kelly Bryant if, if he should play on Saturday against Florida. This is a really good Florida defense, and he hasn't been himself in a long time and, and didn't even play at Georgia. So if anybody has a has a read on this game, um, congratulations, because I don't, I don't know what you should expect from this Missouri team. Well, I think you, I think you have to expect that Missouri is going to play like it has played more recently, as opposed to play like it has in the past, until you see differently. Right. But you know, we we should see signs of that pretty soon and maybe being at home does make a factor if they go out and play well then you look at okay is it a home road thing if Kelly Bryant comes back that kind of skews things a little bit Um, let's start there what do you make of where he is right now what do you make of how limited he could be if he does play and how much I mean you go back to that Ole Miss game where he played so well which seemed to suggest that the knee injury that he appeared to shake off against Troy was not that big of a deal um, but but now the hamstring added into that. How much do you think his injuries, the knee and then hamstring, have had an effect on his play after that Ole Miss game? Well, it's it's definitely a factor. I mean, it, and the hamstring, obviously, he played seven series at Kentucky after he mm-hmm. pulled it or strained it or whatever we're calling it. And, you know, he just wasn't functional out there. Um, so, yeah, obviously in that game, it, it – impacted him I, I don't know about the Vanderbilt game you know the knee was the knee was good enough at Ole Miss to put up good numbers there um I, they have no vertical passing game and I don't know how much that you know comes down to his knee and just being stable in the pocket and being able to really you know launch a deep pass part of it is they don't have receivers they can get open and get separation I, I think it's coming down to that has been the biggest problem with this offense and you can also point to the offensive line. The running game hasn't been very good, but they they don't scare anybody deep, and and that influences how defenses play. Then you can play your safeties up closer line of scrimmage and and focus on the run game because you're not really worried about getting beaten deep. 
And, you know, that was never the case when you had Drew Locke at quarterback. That threat was always there. Now, not so much. Uh, we saw it earlier in the year where, where Kelly Bryant was able to complete some deep balls and to Jalen Knox and Cam Scott. Uh, we're just not seeing it anymore. So I, I think that has kind of handcuffed this offense. And it, it certainly they didn't even try to do any of that stuff uh, really at Georgia. They did one time. It was on a, a offside penalty. So Taylor Powell made a really smart play by just chucking it deep to Cam Scott who didn't exactly make much of an effort to catch the ball. It, it was right there in front of him. Maybe if he leaves his feet, he would have caught that and you know changed that game. Who knows? But uh, I think that's the problem more than anything. They just have no vertical passing game. When you look at Cam Scott, I mean, there hasn't really been the emergence of a receiver, go-to receiver. Albert O has struggled. We've hit on that a lot. I don't want to dive back into that, but he's not the only one. I mean, Cam Scott has been you know, less than advertised as – have a bunch of pass catchers is what do you think is going on with with him specifically and why hasn't he been able to kind of grab that role as being the kind of the Emmanuel Hall replacement on the deep ball he's got the speed we've seen that he, he's he was good in camp he's a guy that a couple times this year has taken kind of a short intermediate pass and, and uh, turned it upfield for a big long game but he just doesn't seem very reliable. He's had a couple unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Just had an awful one the other night at Georgia. It was two plays after he didn't make an effort on the deep ball. And then it was a running play, and some, there was a little bit of shoving. He shoved one defender two times and then shoved another defender a third time, kind of with his elbow. And the Georgia player, was he, he totally flopped, but he <laughs> sold it right in front of the Smart, officials. It yeah. was a 15-yard penalty. And it was just terrible timing for the penalty. They were already backed up deep in their own territory. If, at that point, if anything, you're trying to milk the clock and just get good enough field position for your defense so Georgia doesn't score. What does Georgia do? They go out and uh, take the ball over within the last minute and get a field goal out of it. So uh, just a knucklehead play by him. Um, they're just I don't think it's a surprise he's demoted this week on the depth chart at least. Jalen Knox is ahead of him. Knox, who's been fairly invisible all season. Uh, they just don't have playmakers there. And I think recruiting for the last few years is coming back to haunt them. They've missed out on a lot of big targets. At that position, um, you know, they've they've been happy with some of the guys they end up getting, and then the season turns on and they just don't have much there. And I think, I mean, Barrett Bannister is one of their best receivers. I think he should be starting. I mean, he, he was the one guy that got the chains moving the other night. Um, you know, Jonathan Nance is more of a possession guy. He's been steady, but he's not, you know, a spectacular all-SEC receiver. They just don't have much there at all. When you look at the offense, like is it like we knew that the Missouri went out to go grab a quarterback on the grad transfer market and Kelly Bryant because it didn't have a guy it felt really good about starting without that option. So is then like where does the needle fall? Because is it okay the quarterback's hurt? This was the quarterback who was going to make or break the season. So you kind of look at the Georgia game and when Ke- if Kelly Bryant doesn't, Bryant doesn't play against Florida, you kind of from the eyes of like Jim Sterk, you remove it from the from the calculations? Or is it fair to say, hey, yeah, you guys lost your quarterback, but Florida's going to come in here as a you know nationally ranked power playing with its backup quarterback. Trask did not start the season for the Gators. People forget that Felipe Franks has been knocked out because Trask has played so well. We've seen the Missouri defense get shredded by uh, a receiver playing quarterback at at Kentucky. We've also seen Missouri lose to a backup quarterback at Vanderbilt. So other teams are clearly finding ways to score points, um, coming up with backup options and creative schemes that, that, that have an offense put up numbers. 
where does the needle fall with Missouri? Is it okay? Kelly Bryant was not healthy, so offense gets a pass, or or is, is Derek Dooley? I'm not going to say on the hot seat here, but is he feeling pressure? Because look, you still have to find a way to score points when your when your starter's not in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I part of me though thinks that if they didn't, if that game wasn't Georgia, and Kelly Bryant would have been out there. He was bouncing around and doing everything in pregame that he always does. He was running, he was cutting. Uh, he was doing all the drills that he normally does. I, I just think that they looked at this and said, Missouri, we, we don't have a shot at this game with or without Kelly Bryant, especially if he's 85%, 90%. Let's kill him up and save him for the stretch run. Now, in that same vein, that your your quarterback situation is still not very healthy when you got to go to Taylor Powell, and he really struggled. I mean, he's a – he's a Konza Martin will call him a company man. He's a good guy for the program. He's very positive, works really hard, says all the right things, does all the right things. He's just not an SEC quarterback, or he's not ready to be one right now, starting against a quality opponent like, like George. And George is an elite defense, maybe the best in the country. Um, but he, he they couldn't function with him in there. Connor Bazelak looked pretty good when he was in there. You know, at that point, George is mixing in some backups. It still had starters out there, but, you know, they're up 27 to nothing. How much do they really care at that point? Um, so, yeah, I, I think – I think we can say, hey, they did a nice job going out and getting Kelly Bryant, but, man, they didn't really have an insurance policy ready. And in this league, you know, you need to. Taylor Powell, this is an amazing stat. Taylor Powell is the 17th different starting quarterback in the SEC East this year. Not the SEC, the SEC East. Wow. Jake Fromm from Georgia is the only starter who has played in every game for his team in the SEC East. So I think going knowing that and Missouri going into next year – and every year after that, they have to have a really solid plan for their number two guy. Well, they got they got uh, they gambled and it got bit a little bit, and and it speaks to how how off rails this season has gotten. That you're looking at having Kelly Bryant to a point where maybe he could have played some version of himself, um, and they say, now nah, let's just take the L and uh, try to focus on the games we have left because this game, this Georgia game, was initially supposed to be the biggest game on Missouri's schedule. Right. It just speaks right. to how how things have gotten so wonky so fast here all right let's look at florida quickly the the gators are good man dan mullen's a really good coach it shows what they've done with their backup quarterback in trask their defense is really good um what do you make of of this florida team coming in what does missouri have to do for the unlikely chance of, of pulling up an upset back at home you know what missouri i think they've got to just extend some possessions don't be so quick to be three and out you know use the clock a little bit and try to shorten the game because Missouri's they're not going to score much in this game, uh, if at all. I mean, Florida leads the SEC in sacks. They're third in the nation in takeaways. This defense is really playing well. Offensively, Trask has kind of found a way. He's probably the third-best quarterback in the SEC this year, at least by production, behind the two Heisman candidates, Joe Burrow and, and Tua at Alabama, which is crazy to think. He, he didn't even start the first three games, but his numbers are right up there behind those guys, even better than Fromm's numbers. Um, so th- they've got a bunch of different playmakers. They they like lead the country in receivers uh, with 150 yards total uh, receiving. They've just got a whole bunch of different guys. They spread it around to a bunch of them. A um, whole bunch of, I think, 16 different players for Florida have scored touchdowns this year on, on offense, uh, which is just crazy. So they're, I, I'm not going to say they're back to – where they were under Urban Meyer, obviously, or the peak Spurrier years because they haven't won any championships yet. And they really would have to back in 
to the SEC championship game. They would need Georgia to lose two more games to Auburn and Texas A&M, which seems unlikely. Um, but it's still going to be a, a strong Florida team. And they're coming in for revenge, too. This team has lost two in a row to Missouri, yep. and neither of those games are very close. Uh, they have to be thinking about that. I, I think the only thing that could maybe work in Missouri's favor is the weather. It's not supposed to be as cold Saturday as it has been this week. But an 11 a.m. kickoff, uh, they're still shoveling snow off our O-field. If you're a Florida Gator, that's probably not the uh, atmosphere you want to play in. But Missouri hasn't exactly played well in adverse conditions this year either. So, you know, I, I don't know how well they'll handle the cold. Yeah, I thought that that temperature might be a bonus for Mizzou, and then I looked and it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be up to like fifty degrees, which is yeah. not. It's cold for Florida, but it's not exactly a blustering uh, snowstorm as Barry Odom said he was hoping for um, in his uh, in his press conference earlier this week. It's a it's a big game. I mean, we've talked a lot about Jim Sterk and what he's thinking about and what he's evaluating right now, and. I mean, I think you also – he has to look at the crowd. And what do you think the crowd will be like on Saturday? Because with the weather and the performance of this team as late, I, I can't imagine that it will be the, the, the kind of stadium feel that they hoped to have when they knew they would be coming back after after these games on the road. No, nope, Missouri fans don't like 11 a.m. starts. We know that. I think it's the start of deer season. Um, the list of reasons not to go to the game you know, grows all the time, especially when you lose and you're on a three-game losing streak. That's just kind of the mindset of the Missouri fan base. And, you know, it's, it's hard to blame them. I'm not going to sit here and tell people how to spend their money or spend their time. Um, but, you know, if if every week is going to be sort of a statement on your on the, the state of the program by what the crowd is going to be, then you're just not ready to be a top-tier program or even a middle-tier program in the SEC because they don't have those conversations every week in Florida and Georgia and you know all the the great programs in in this conference and and it is a conversation all the time at missouri that attendance figure um it's something that you know i know jim stark and his staff are are, you know looking at not just a figure but the crowd size and um you know what the intake is going to be with concessions and all of that and it's such a major factor for this program the health of this program and as long as that's the case then you know they're not going to be in great shape financially and you know, as we know, that's that kind of defines how you are as an athletic program in, in the SEC. So, it's a big factor here for 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 sure. And this game is um, this game's kind of setting up to have all those reasons not to go to the game pile up for you know the average Missouri fan that that isn't part of that diehard core that's going to come you know to every game either way. That financial limbo is something I wanted to hit on maybe next week. At some point, we should talk about that because Missouri's in a spot where it has to decide at some point, or it could have to decide at some point, does the financial situation of the athletic department keep or encourage Jim Sterk to be proactive or to give Barry Odom more time, more patience? I think that's that's an interesting an interesting topic, and you can argue it both ways, and I think it's something that we'll hit on here on the podcast later on. I want to hit on some Mizzou hoops, though, they go to Xavier. I thought played a, a remarkable game in that they were able to stay in it despite such a sloppy game and turnovers. That the fact that Jeremiah Tillman did exactly what you can't have him do, which is go out and get two quick fouls and spend the first half on the bench, come back out for the second half, get a third. Um, that was really kind of worst case scenario for the way that game could have gone in terms of his play. He played okay when he was able to stay on the court, not so much in his ability to stay on it though. And and top twenty one team on the road, really tough place to play. 
I think Missouri looks back and goes, man, that's a huge missed opportunity, but probably took some building blocks from it, most importantly their effort and their stick after they fell behind early. Yeah, they showed a lot of toughness. They showed some resilience. You know, Drew Smith was really good. Uh, they need they need another scorer there besides him. There's no doubt about that. And he's not supposed to be the scorer. So uh, not not enough firepower there outside of outside of Drew Smith. And he had to kind of create his own offense a lot, which he's capable of doing. But that's not really ideal. He, he wants to be the facilitator, and that's what you want from him. I was impressed with Xavier Pinson in the second half. I think he's a guy that they like bringing him off the bench. Um, but I think the the more he plays like that, the more they're going to think about him, not just making him a starter, but really giving him starters minutes. And if it comes at the expense of another guard, um, if that means you got to play Drew Smith off the ball more, then that's fine because I think he's got to see the floor. Um, the, defensively, they've been really good. I think they're 10th in the nation, Ken Palm, and defensive uh, efficiency. And you look at the teams that are in the top 10 every year, and you're talking about, Virginia and Kansas and Kentucky and the elite elite program. So that's that's right where Conzo wants his team to be. I think if he was told he was going to hold uh, Xavier in the 60s and it still go to overtime, I think he'd take that. Um, but you know, you you can't turn the ball over like Missouri did. And he he said going into this year, we're not going to have the turnover problems that we had last year. Uh, he hadn't seen that in practice. Even after the game, I saw a quote. Um, that our stringer who covered the game used it. Conzo said, we haven't had turnover problems. Like, I, I don't know what, maybe he's just referring to practice that nobody sees, but they've turned it over a lot in their games, at least from one half to the next, maybe not, uh, or, or one half of games they have. So that continues to be a problem with this team. It's not just the point guards either. Whenever you say turnovers, people just associate that, oh, they don't have good point guard play. No, their wings turn it over a lot. Javon Pickett's turned it over a bunch the last, the other night. Tillman, you know, every offensive foul, that's a, that's a turnover. So they've, they've got to value the ball better and, and just play more efficiently on the offensive end. There's no doubt about that. Jeremiah Tillman in field goals so far this season. He's 7 of 9 in his first game, 5 of 6 in his second game, 4 of 5 in the game against Xavier. And he had, against Xavier, also 4 rebounds, 2 blocks to go the 8 points in only 23 minutes in a very sporadic game where he was fighting the officials as much as anything in, in his own head. What do they have to do, Dave? I mean, is it the point where you bring them off the bench? Because I feel like they're I feel like they're in a spot where they're building these game plans around Jeremiah Tillman, and when he goes out and it's a coin flip if he's going to be on the court for more than a couple minutes, then they just completely have to change and call an audible on the fly when he has to sit on the bench. It's not a very conducive way to trying to beat a really good team, especially on the road. I, how do they do this? It's year three. They can't they can't keep just doing the same thing. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know either. I don't know if Gonzo knows the answer. If he did, he he would have fixed it by now, you would think, because it's not like a new problem. And I, so much of the talk off season was these are all about, uh, you know, Jeremiah being mentally strong. And it's not the fouls; it's what leads to the fouls. It's frustration on one end, and he takes it out on the other end. But that's not really what we've seen this year. I mean, it's it's illegal screens. It's um, you know getting his elbow up when he's trying to, you know, on the block, and he's. he's going up for a play on, on the offensive end. Um, it, more of these, it just seems like are on offense. And those are things I think you can, you can scheme around and maybe not use him as a screener up high, you know, when, you, when all eyes are on him and he's not down low in traffic uh, where you can maybe get away with a little bit more. But I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not a smart enough basketball guy to know how you fix it. Do you bench him and bring him off the bench? I don't know. Conzo's always 
said, well, that doesn't that does that gives him an out instead of putting it on his shoulders to fix himself, and it gives him an excuse. Um, and he's trying to teach him accountability. Well, yeah, I, I don't, is that working though? No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's. I, I, I almost think we're at a point where it's just it's going to happen, and you get the most of most out of him when he's on the floor. And the team just kind of has to roll with that punch, I guess. Uh, I felt yeah. like it. I felt like it's. I felt like it kind of unplugged him a little bit in this game at Xavier. And there's some guys out there who haven't really been around that. I mean, Drew Smith doesn't know what that's like on the court in the game. He knows about it in practice, but it just seems like it really kind of sent them scattering in that first half when they didn't have him and they credit to them for sticking to it. But people talk about why the offense looked so bad and why they had to sell for so many shots. Well, I guarantee you they went into that game plan with the plan to get Jeremiah Tillman the ball. And right. what they had to do is, okay, they almost had to have a plan B. It's like, here's what we, here's our plan of attack. If Jeremiah Tillman's not in the game. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that using him to set screens at the three-point arc is a good idea because he's just monitored so closely. And some of this is how it's officiated. He does not get away with things that other guys get away with. That's apparently not going to change. I don't know if Jeremiah Tillman was Bobby Knight in a former life and you know threw <laughs> a chair at an official or what. Like For some reason, they monitor him like a hawk. I don't necessarily think it's fair all the time, but I know we have to know by now that it's not going to change. So he has to change, or the offense has to change. Something has to change to get him in a spot where he's not putting himself in those positions. All those fouls were fouls by the rule of the law. At least two of them were ones that guys get away with all the time. So, so I, I just don't know. Missouri has to try to find an answer because you're you're letting a really valuable player sit on the bench and also go there during the game when your his teammates were supposed to rely on him for the game plan. So they got to figure that out if they're going to win those kind of games. I think. Um, speaking of a team that has, does not have as many wins as it would like and has had two costly home losses. Let's let's talk quickly. You want to get your thoughts on the Missouri women's basketball team? Asia Blackwell has had probably a rougher introduction into the college game than some hope. Missed a couple costly free throws early on, and you had a stunning stat that you told me as we were getting ready to record this that this is the first time that a Robin Pinchton coach team has started one and two since her first season. What's going on with these Lady Tigers, Dave? Yeah, and it's not like they've actually played you know a bunch of ranked teams either. They. They needed overtime in their first game to beat Western Illinois. They needed overtime against Nebraska in a game they led late on Sunday and missed some free throws, and Nebraska hit a three uh, really late in, the, in regulation to send it to overtime, and Missouri couldn't get it done in overtime. And then just last night on Wednesday, um, they they lose at home to Northern Iowa in a game that a lot of turnovers early. They're just not very good defensively. They have no size. Uh, they're they're a very guard oriented team more so than you know most women's teams and uh, it's gonna it's, I think it's gonna be a bit of a struggle this year now they they've got the talent with those freshmen Haley Frank was really good last night I think she had 17 points um, you know her and her between her and Asia you've got two really bright players with bright futures I should say you know I think Blackwell had 21 in the Nebraska game. She just missed some costly free throws that were, um, you know, late in the game that they could have put Missouri up five, I think. Um, so they're going to have good games here and there, and they might even surprise some teams when they're really on. Um, but they're also gonna, they're also freshmen, and they're going to make freshman mistakes. And this team has Amber Smith is really good. I think she's an All SEC type player. They have a lot of complementary players then, and they don't have um, they don't have a they don't have enough stars. They've got some established, you know, complementary veterans but not enough to where they've 
they've been in a situation on the bench. They've been in a situation kind of deferring to Sophie Cunningham, but not where they have to go out and win the game. So this could be a rough year. I, you know, I think uh, Robin has built up enough equity to, to have a, a transition year, a rebuilding year, whatever you want to call it. Um, and she's obviously recruited really well, but this team just they, – they, when you watch them, they just look like they really lack some size. They, they could use a porter or two inside, and they just don't have that. I think it's uh, maybe going to be a growing year, and I, I think I think Asia is going to be really good. She's such a talent, and if she just uh, keeps chipping away at it, she'll be a, she'll be a really good player for this team. But probably a, a bit of a wake up call for her from going dominating here locally in in high school uh, to to play in some of these college games and some of these opponents who can defend a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. And also, let's not forget, she didn't play her senior year of high school. Great so, point. Um, she, you know, she played all summer with with the Missouri players and practices. But you know, when the ball is tipped and you're playing against a different team and there's a there's a crowd, you know, things are a little bit different. There, uh, the, there's more tension in the air and this, the the adrenaline is different. So yeah, she'll come around. She's she's too talented not to have you know a great college basketball career. And and uh, it's just going to be a little up and down this year, I think, especially early. Good stuff, Dave. You'll have the coverage from. Columbia on Saturday. I'll come join you to uh, help cover the uh, Florida game. So look for that at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. And we'll be back with another Eye on the Tigers podcast next week as we look forward to a game against the Tennessee team that is really uh, picking up scene here late in the season. So keep it locked at stltoday.com for all that. A reminder to subscribe to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. Go to stltoday.com slash podcast or just punch us into Google Play, music, whatever you use, iTunes, and we're right there. Um, Search for Eye on the Tigers podcast. Do us a favor, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next week.